please stand with me for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You may be seated. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I particularly enjoy being at the men's retreat. Uh, I left there. My heart is still full. Actually, my stomach is still full. <laughs> copious amounts of food that were consumed at that, and it was a wonderful time. You know, language differences can make for some good laughs. When I was in Africa, I remember talking with a couple of the local men who would help cook dinner for the missions group that I was with. And when they heard we were eating chicken fingers, they started laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> they couldn't understand why we called them chicken fingers since chickens don't have fingers. You know, sometimes the language difference can be instructive. So whenever I talk to pastors from Moldova, they'll inevit inevitably refer to one of the men they're training in their church as my disciple. I've never heard an American pastor use that phrase. But maybe we should. Maybe that terminology would, would remind us of the importance of discipleship. Maybe it would remind us that part of the job of every disciple is to make new disciples. Every Christian should be fully committed to God's work through his church. We should worship. We should minister. We should serve with a sweet spirit. But that's not all. We all need to take the step of making disciples. Committed disciples train new disciples. If you've ever been on a team, you've seen this. The upperclassmen help the underclassmen. The veterans help train the rookies. You're not done when you're a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, you're just getting started. Now you're in a perfect position to help disciple someone else. So if you've learned how to worship, teach someone else. If you've learned how to minister, Show someone else. If you've learned how to give, encourage someone else. If you've learned how to serve, find someone who hasn't. Come alongside them and disciple them. We see the importance of disciples training disciples in the second letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. First, we'll look at his example, then the instructions he gave, and finally, where we get the ability to disciple others. Let me read this again. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So first we see an example of discipleship. Paul calls Timothy his child. This is the second time in the letter he's done so. Look back to chapter 1, verse 2, where Paul writes to Timothy, my beloved child. He begins his first letter to Timothy the same way. He writes in 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy is not Paul's physical descendant. Paul is not his birth father or even his adopted father. Paul is his father in the faith. He considers Timothy his spiritual son. Now, Paul has other spiritual sons. He calls Titus his true child in a common faith. And he says the church in the ancient city of Corinth is made up of his beloved children. Why did he call them his children? 
Why did he call them his sons? Well, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. They are his sons because he is the one responsible for their growth and development. They heard the gospel from him. They responded to it. They watched his life, and they began to grow and mature. Like a father, he watched over them and discipled them from the very moment they were born spiritually. Now, to a different church, he likened their relationship to the relationship between a mother and her child. Listen to what he told the church in Thessalonica. He said, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So he loved them. He watched over them, and he gave up his comforts to see them grow, just like a mother does with her children. So when Paul calls Timothy his son, what he means is that he has invested his life in the spiritual growth and development of Timothy. But how did he do this? How did he invest in Timothy? How did he disciple him? Well, listen to what he says in Philippians 4. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He has not only taught Timothy about following Jesus, but he's also modeled for him what it means to follow Jesus. In other words, he's been a parent to Timothy and many others. Isn't this what parents do? We not only teach our kids, but we model for them what we teach them. We show them what we mean. So I remember when we reached a milestone in our family just a couple years ago. We came to the last time I will ever mow my lawn. Now, in case you're misunderstanding, the, the grass in my yard is not tall. But it's, the, it's not the last time my, my lawn will be mowed. It's the last time I will ever do it because I have three sons. And a few years ago, my oldest son, Jack, became old enough to mow the lawn, and I decided at that point I will never mow it again because by the time the third one's done, I will pay a neighbor kid because <laughs> my grocery budget will have decreased so drastically that I'll have plenty of money to pay a, a to serve one of the neighborhood kids by paying him <laughs> to mow my lawn. So I was told Jack, I'm like, you're, you're going to learn how to mow the lawn. And so this is, I did what any good father would do. I, I pushed him on the garage, yelled, mow the lawn, and shut the door. So mowed. It really wasn't that simple. Like, I had to show him how to mow the lawn. I had to show him how to start the mower. That right there takes a while. Right? That's a tricky thing when you've never done it before. I had to show him where to mow. I had to show him, like, yeah, see, those, those were not weeds you just mowed over. Those were your mom's flowers. So next time, next year, uh, let's mow further around them. And the first couple times he mowed, I watched him mow. And so I did what every dad has done throughout human history. I called him over and said, like, see that really tall line? Like, you missed that one. Right? And so I did this for a few times, but I didn't have to keep doing it. Now all I do is I tell Jack to mow, 
he turns to his younger brother Max and tells him to mow, and the yard gets mowed. Like, they know how to do it. You see, the Apostle Paul not only told Timothy and Titus how to follow Jesus, he also showed them how to follow Jesus. That's what it means to disciple them. As you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, you find this happening all the time. He is constantly telling the Christians to remember what he said and how he lived. At least four different times, the Apostle Paul tells people to imitate him. And he doesn't say this arrogantly, like, look how good I am. He says it like a father to his son. Now do what I showed you. He says, imitate me. For someone to imitate you, they have to be close enough to see you. They have to be around you to know what you're like. So when I was in college, we produced a a video for one of our student body meetings. It was footage of students doing impressions of professors. So if you had come to that meeting, what you would have seen is hundreds of students who are just, just laughing, just howling in laughter, and each imitation on the screen made us laugh more and more. But I would guess that if you had been there and you'd looked at the screen, you wouldn't have laughed. Like, it, it wouldn't have been funny to you. The imitations would not have made any sense because you don't know the professors. See, we can only imitate those we know. We can only imitate those we've seen and heard. The Apostle Paul couldn't have said, repeatedly, imitate me, unless he had made himself available to them. So before he instructed them to follow him, he welcomed them into his life. Who have you welcomed into your life? Is there anyone who imitates you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Is there anyone who imitates me? Over time, people imitate what they see you do more than what you tell them to do. More is caught than taught. When I was a kid, my dad would tell me and my brothers this. He would say, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. For a while, I had no idea what he meant. (laughs) Eventually, I figured it out. People will learn more from you if they see your life if you bring them close enough to imitate your behavior. So the Apostle Paul invited young Timothy into his life, and he began to disciple him on how to follow Jesus. Now in verse 2, we see that Paul gives Timothy some instruction on discipleship. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now by this point, the Apostle Paul knows that his life is going to be over soon. Later in this letter, he'll tell Timothy that I have just about finished running my race. Paul can see the finish line coming closer, and he wants Timothy to think about the discipleship he's received from Paul and then begin to disciple others. Now look at the pattern, Paul. Look at the pattern here. Paul discipled Timothy. Timothy is supposed to disciple other faithful men who will in turn disciple others. Think of it like a relay team. Paul ran the first leg, then passed the baton to Timothy. Timothy is supposed to pass the baton to others who will run their leg before passing it off again. But the race is more than four legs long. It's a perpetual relay race. 
every stage is important. So from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to faithful men, from faithful men to others, even if one leg was missed, the results would be disastrous. A couple years ago, I installed a new chandelier over our dining room table. Now, I had never installed a chandelier before, but it provides light, and it was still hanging when we sold the house. I'm hoping it still is. So I, I'm pretty proud of myself, frankly, for that feat. Now, when I pulled the chandelier out of the box, it had this really long chain connected to it in case someone wanted to hang it from really tall ceilings. Our, our ceiling was only eight feet tall. And I tried to convince my wife that we could hang it and it could just set on the top of the dining room table so it would be both light and a decoration. Since I could not convince her of that, I had to figure out a way to, to, to shorten it. So when I finished hanging the light, I set the majority of that chain on a shelf in the garage where it sat there waiting to be thrown away at some point in the future or waiting for me to move out of the house and leave it um, for the new owners. Do you know how I took it apart? I just focused on one link. And all I do is pry this one link apart. And once, once I got rid of that one link, I could disconnect the entire chain. Like that's all it took was one link. I didn't need to destroy the whole thing. I didn't need to pull every single link apart. I, didn't, I just needed to pry open one link. All Satan wants is to get rid of one link in the chain. If he could have gotten rid of Timothy, he could have gotten rid of all those faithful men and their followers. If you're a Christian, you're a link in the chain. Has Satan gotten to you? Are there people you could reach who are currently sitting on the shelf because you're unwilling to invest in their life? Now, the chain has extended for 2,000 years as Christians have discipled the next generation to know and follow Christ. Let's not be the generation that breaks the chain. Now, of course, this type of discipleship doesn't happen by chance. It has to be intentional. That's why Paul instructs Timothy to do it. If we assume it will just happen, we're naive. We need to see it as our responsibility to disciple others to follow Jesus. Who are you discipling? Who has God put you around? Who can you encourage to greater commitment to Jesus Christ? Look at verse 2 again. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy to entrust, to commit the truth to faithful men. The word translated in trust can be translated deposit. In fact, it's used that way in chapter 1 where Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit given to him. Have you ever made a deposit by accident? Like one day you're driving around town doing errands and all of a sudden you find yourself at the bank counter and you're like, how did I get here? I might as well make a deposit. Like that's not, that's not how it works. A, a bank, sorry, younger people, that's, it's what you do on your phone. There's a building somewhere you can do it in person but you, you, you see you can't do it by chance whether in the bank or on your phone you have to make a decision like I've got this check I've got this money and I, I want to deposit and so I've got to put it on my to-do list and then I've got to I've got to figure out how to do it and there are decisions I have to make in order for this to happen like making a deposit happens because you intentionally do it making a deposit in another Christian will happen only if you intentionally do it now, I can imagine that maybe some of you are Bible scholars and you're looking at these verses and you're saying, wait a sec, Josh, these are directed to pastors. 
Timothy was a pastor. He was being instructed to train pastors. This doesn't apply to us non-pastors. And you're right. And you're wrong. Because this is primarily referring to pastors, but it is not exclusively referring to them. Okay, there's a couple of reasons. Let me give you a couple of reasons this extend beyond, beyond, extends beyond pastors. The first reason is because pastors are examples. So in his first letter to Timothy, Paul told him to be an example to the believers. So by commanding Timothy to train new disciples, the Apostle Paul knows that other Christians, other believers, will follow his example. They'll see Timothy and imitate him. This passage teaches, teaches trickle-down discipleship. In other words, if the people at the stop, top start training disciples, it will trickle down from top to bottom, and the people below them will do it as well. So if pastors disciple their people, their people will disciple other people. But then a second reason is that this command isn't exclusive to pastors. Listen to what Paul writes in Titus 2. He says this, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, listen, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. He says the older women are to train the younger women. This clearly extends the command beyond pastors. Paul says older women disciple the younger women to be godly women. And in the same passage, he commands older men to have self-control and then urge the same in younger men. So here's a question. Who's an older man? Who's an older woman? I mean, most of us are older than someone, right? In fact, most of us fall into two categories, both a younger and older. And that means we should be learning from some and we should be leading some others. The command to disciples is also given to parents. After commanding children to obey their parents, Paul tells fathers to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, the word discipline shares the same root as disciple. Parents are to train their children to know what God wants and how to follow Him. We could look at many other examples in Scripture, but the point is simple. Each disciple needs to train new disciples. That's how Christianity spread from a dozen disciples in one Middle Eastern city to where we are now, hundreds of disciples in a building in Minnetonka 2,000 years later, and congregations like this one around the globe. A great illustration of discipleship is a graduation ceremony at a college that trains teachers. See, those teachers were taught by teachers who were taught by teachers who were taught by teachers who were taught by teachers, taught by teachers and so on. And hopefully those students of those teachers will teach their own students who will in turn teach their own students who will in turn teach their own students and so on. Now imagine what would happen if one generation said, we're not going to do that. We, we don't, we don't want to participate. Like this whole structure would collapse. God has chosen to call disciples one at a time. It's impossible to mass produce disciples. Disciples aren't built in factories. They're individually handcrafted. One disciple patiently pouring his life into another disciple, training them to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I can say this confidently. There is someone you can pour your life into. There is someone you can disciple in the faith. 
Now, if you stop and think about it right now, maybe the face of someone will pop into your head. Or maybe you rack your brain and you come up with no one. And if that's the case, ask God to show you someone. I am 100% sure. I have no doubt that he'll make it clear. Let me assume that you're thinking of someone right now, but you're not sure how to get started. Well, here are a couple suggestions. Try inviting them to your community group. Like, that's a great place to pour yourself into another person. It's a custom-made opportunity to disciple someone in the faith. So as you meet regularly to discuss God's Word and pray together, this, you'll have plenty of opportunities to help them grow. You can invite them over for dinner. You could save them a seat on Sunday. However you choose to get started, remember this, your own spiritual growth is not an end in itself. You grow to help others grow. Your commitment isn't complete until you begin helping others commit to Christ. Okay, so we started by observing Paul's example of discipleship, then listen to his instruction on discipleship. The last thing we'll look at is, his, is this, the ability for discipleship. Here's what I mean. Where do we get the ability to do this? Because this seems difficult. This seems overwhelming. Maybe this seems impossible. So how can we do it? Look back to verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The power to disciple others comes from Jesus. Before Timothy could instruct faithful men, before he could be an example to the believers, he needed to find his strength in the grace that comes only through Jesus. Friend, this really is the heart of Christianity. We have no Ability to do what God has called us to do on our own. And so our only hope is to trust in the grace that comes through Jesus. We have no ability to please God. We have no ability to come to God. He had to come to us through his son, Jesus, extending grace that is completely undeserved. In the previous chapter, Paul describes the grace that is at work in the life of a Christian. So if you're here and you're a Christian, this statement Paul makes is true of you. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. Paul, speaking of Jesus, says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, the grace we have comes not from our works, but directly from Jesus Christ. It was seen most clearly when Jesus died in our place and then rose from the dead victorious. That grace is what rescues a Christian from death and makes him alive to God. And now Paul says, that same grace which made you alive to God empowers you to go to someone else and invest your life in him or her. Just as Jesus gave his life to serve us, we give our lives to serve others. And because he rose from the dead, our service will be effective. Maybe you've tried this. Maybe you've tried to invest in someone else. You've tried to come alongside them and you've tried to help them follow Jesus and honestly, it did not go well. 
Or maybe you've never tried it because you don't think you could. You've heard others teaching on this and you've thought like, oh, I don't, I don't know enough. Like, no one would listen to me. This is just not natural for me. Those things may be true, but they're irrelevant. It's not about your intelligence. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about your impressiveness. It's about the victorious Jesus who works through you to impact someone else. Imagine visiting a friend's house late at night, and as you pull in, you see it's garbage night. Right? He's got the He's got the garbage cans out of the curb, and leaning next to them is what looks like a brand new Dyson vacuum cleaner. You go inside and you ask him about it. And he, t- he tells you that he really wanted to get his floors clean, and so he bought the best, but no matter how many times he vacuumed the floor, they never got clean. He would go over, over them night after night, and nothing would happen. And even though he'd done it every night for weeks, like the floors just kept getting, dir- kept getting dirtier. This seems strange to you. And so you, you ask him to walk you through what he did. And so he describes coming home from the store. He's excited. He's got, you know, the best. He's got this new Dyson vacuum cleaner. He's got the cleanest floors of anyone. He pulls the vacuum cleaner out of the box. He assembles it. He flips on the switch, and he starts pushing around the house. But nothing happens. All of a sudden, it dawns on you. And you ask the million-dollar question, the question that clears everything up. You ask him, Did you plug it in? See, without power, your mightiest effort accomplishes nothing. Without the empowering grace of Jesus Christ, your effort to impact someone else, a friend, a child, a spouse, will only fail. You see, we think we need something else to be effective. We need to be smarter. We need to work harder. We need to be more educated. We need more support. We need need to have a track record of success. We need to have the right circumstances. None of those things determine the impact we have on others. What matters is whether we're trying to impact people in our own strength or whether we're relying upon the grace of Jesus Christ. So Paul discipled Timothy and commanded Timothy to disciple others. And those others were to disciple others. This is the grand scheme for the advancement of Christianity. And because it's been empowered by Jesus, it's been effective. For 2,000 years, the church has embraced this pattern of discipleship. Individual Christians fully committed and engaged in serving Jesus, investing their lives in the lives of other people for their good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Where do you fit in? How how does Redeemer as a church do this? What, What should discipleship look like here? This church should be a teaching hospital. You're first a hospital. A place where the sick, the hurting, the broken can come to find healing. You're not perfect, but Jesus is. And you know that there is no sickness that he cannot heal. And so you spread your arms wide open and you invite everyone to come, meet Jesus, and be made brand new. But you want to be a teaching hospital. 
You want to help the hurting, but you also want to produce doctors. You want to see men and women be trained here and go out and start new hospitals around the world, whether it's in a, in a nearby city like Maple Grove or another country like Ireland, hospitals in places where the name of Jesus has not been spoken. Now, maybe you hear that and you say, like, I, I could see that. That's great. I'd love for Redeemer to be that kind of place. The pastors should really do that. And I'll give them thumbs up. Good job, guys. Keep up the good work. Train some more doctors. Let me remind you that hospitals need more than just doctors. See, a hospital that only employed doctors would not stay in business long. The hospital needs nurses and technicians, clerks and cooks, guards and janitors. See, without them, the hospital wouldn't function. So you're here, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a doctor. Maybe you're just a janitor in this hospital. You're just a guard. You're just a clerk. This passage reminds us that every position is important. Every member matters. Whatever your role, you can train someone else. Whatever your role, you need to train someone else. Future doctors are needed. But so are future clerks, future cooks, future janitors. See, you don't want to just, as a church, produce doctors. You want to build other hospitals. And that will happen only as each member of Redeemer trains others. As each disciple here trains new disciples. Who are you training? 